My name is Nicholas Danforth, and I'm an editor at War on the Rocks. You are listening to The Warcast, the members-only podcast for what you need to know now. During the past week, Russia announced that it would be withdrawing from the deal that, since last summer, had allowed the export of Ukrainian grain through the Black Sea. Then, following a day of furious diplomatic traffic, Moscow walked back the announcement, suggesting that the deal will survive. Here to help us make sense of the twists and turns of this story is Ayla Jean Yakle. Ayla is a freelance journalist based in Istanbul. She has covered Turkey for two decades for publications including the Financial Times, Politico, and The New Yorker. Before we begin, I'd also like to take a moment to remind listeners about our new War on the Rocks podcast, The Russia Contingency with Mike Kaufman. This week, Mike and Doyle Hodges discuss the implications of Ukraine's recent attack on Russia's Black Sea fleet. Which, of course, brings us back to our topic today. Welcome to the Warcast, Isla. Thanks for having me, Nick. It's a pleasure to be here. So we had a grain deal, then all of a sudden we didn't have a grain deal, then we had a grain deal again. Uh, We have a lot of questions for you about this, but to start off, let's take a step back. How, since this deal was finalized over the summer, how has it been working? What's been happening? I think it's fair to say that it's been working pretty smoothly. Um, It's been humming along in the background um, and hasn't really garnered too much attention since it went into effect back in late July, early August. And we have figures um, on how many have, how many ships have gone through. It's been close to 500 actually um, civilian ships that have gone in and loaded Ukrainian wheat, sunflower oil, um, and other agricultural products. And this has helped bring down soaring um, food costs around the world. Um, it's although half of the shipments have gone to have been ultimately destined for for Europe. Um, it has still ha- helped um, other nations in bringing down the overall prices. Um, and so it really does have, it's hard to understate how important this um, this agreement has been in providing food to, to the rest of the world. And so then why did Russia withdraw? Well, ostensibly, um, it withdrew on Saturday after its Black Sea naval fleet um, was attacked. It accused... Ukraine of using uh, part of the corridor uh, for these grain exports um, to launch underwater drones and to hit its ships. Um, So that's what they publicly stated. Um, Interestingly, um, Turkey, uh, President Erdogan said um, pretty soon after Russia announced that it was suspending its participation, that it had that Russia had certain demands about its own grain and fertilizer um, and wanting to use the corridor to export those and because they're not under sanction. So it may have been um, a combination of factors that drew Russia to abruptly quit this weekend. And then what happened after that? How did this suddenly get reversed so quickly? Well, the main account that we've had has been from um, President Erdogan. Um, He not only himself personally, not only did he reach out to Putin, but he enlisted his Russian counterpart, Lavrov, as well as the Turkish defense minister to reach out to his counterpart. 
Um, and so they worked the phones um, for a few days. And then last yesterday, it was Erdogan who announced that Russia would resume participation. He was delivering um, his weekly speech to members of his party in parliament. And um, he, before he signed off, he said, I've got some good news for you. Um, Russia is going to rejoin the grain initiative. And he got a standing ovation from his um, party members when he announced that. And then last night when he, um, he gave an interview on Turkish television, he pretty much said it was down to his personal relationship with um, Putin. Interestingly, he made the point that other leaders are less than respectful towards Putin, that they say very negative things about him, and so therefore they don't really have much influence with him. But he understands that, you know, Russia is um, one of, you know, the world's most esteemed nations and that a leader like Putin needs to be treated accordingly. And he said that that had had an, had an effect. And we haven't seen many alternative um, accounts of how he was able to convince Putin to reverse himself so quickly. Far be it from me to express skepticism about Erdogan's account of his own leadership. But what would other potential factors be? I know Russia offered, uh, Russia claimed that it had gotten reassurances that its ships would not be attacked using these corridors. Again, that seemed like something of a superficial face-saving claim. What else could be behind this? They, Russia did claim that they, what they call guarantees were made um, by Ukraine, but um, Ukraine has denied providing any fresh guarantees beyond what they originally agreed to. So it could also be that it is trying to um, push for more of its own products to reach international markets. Um, so that's another factor. You know, the deal is set to expire um, in about three weeks. So I think that this raises questions about, you know, whether it's committed to seeing it go um, go beyond that. You know, this might be a, you know, a shot across the bow to say that it might, you know, it might make things more difficult in the coming weeks. Putin, you know, is, is trying to assert himself and maybe remind us all that he is, uh, you know, his, this is this rare example of wartime cooperation. You know, he does hold quite a few of those cards in his hands. But I, I do think it's worth maybe going back to the relationship between Russia and Turkey for a moment. And, you know, and while your skepticism is, um, is well noted, uh, I do think that it's important to note um, how their relationship has helped shape at least this grain initiative. Um, you know, Erdogan always talks about how someone needs to be in dialogue with Russia. And Putin gets a lot out of that, you know, in addition to um, deepening economic links between the two countries, you know, for for Russia, which, which is becoming incredibly important when it's under sanction, when all these businesses have withdrawn from Russia. You know, he also Erdogan also provides um, Putin with a diplomatic lifeline um, and, you know, suggests that perhaps he isn't as isolated as the West would like for him to feel. You know, if he's meeting regularly with Erdogan and they do seem to meet, 
you know, every several weeks and speak even more frequently by phone. You know, if he's meeting with the head of an important NATO member, then maybe he isn't so diplomatically isolated. One final question, since we're on the subject, I saw reports earlier today expressing skepticism about Turkey approving Finland and Sweden's NATO membership anytime soon. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that. Well, your guess is as good as mine about when we might see an agreement on NATO's expansion uh, because, you know, there was an agreement that was reached in June at a summit in Madrid in which uh, Turkey and Sweden and Finland outlined steps that they would take towards making this a reality. And here we are, you know, four or five months later, and it's Turkey and Hungary, which are the two holdouts. Um, I was at a press conference today with the Secretary General of NATO and the Turkish Foreign Minister. Uh, and um, you know a lot of it a, a lot of what was being said um, was, you know, so to me, it struck it struck me that Turkey might be softening its um, tone a bit. You know, it's kind of like reading tea leaves, but uh, they welcome the new Swedish government. Um, they reiterated that they expected to take concrete steps, but Chavush Olu, the foreign minister, added that he knew that these were steps that the previous government wouldn't have taken. So that's perhaps cause for optimism on Turkey's part. For you know, and let's just recap what Turkey wants. They want them to extradite a long list of asylum seekers that. Um, Turkish courts want to prosecute. And um, these are, you know, this this has obviously raised concern in Sweden about whether um, they would have to sort of compromise on their own rule of law to please Turkey. Um, and in response to, um, at this press conference, in response to Chavosolo's um, saying that they still wanted to see concrete acts actions. Um, you know, I'm not a great read of uh, of um, Jan Stoltenberg, but he seemed to be slightly frustrated because he said that um, both Finland and Sweden have delivered and delivered quite strongly on that memorandum that they had reached in June, um, that they're clearly committed and that it's time for them to join NATO. So I, I just wondered if there was like a, a, a touch of, of frustration in his voice, and he meets with er Erdogan tomorrow. I would say that there seems to be some movement on it. That's the way that I'm reading it. We've got the Swedish prime minister visiting um, Erdogan here in Turkey next week. And I spoke with um, an analyst today who expects that there will be progress, maybe not in 2022, but early next year. And that, and he linked it with um, the domestic politics. You know, Turkey is heading into this very critical election um, in June at the latest. And if Erdogan can portray a victory, um, forcing Sweden, um, and let's be let's be frank here, it's Sweden, it's not Finland. And Chobosholu said that as well tonight. That because they want to join together. They're grouped together, but Turkey's objections are with Sweden, not Finland. Um, he said that. So um, at any rate, um, if, if Erdogan can portray this as a, a political victory in which he was able to force a European country to um, 
bow to pressure and meet its demands, um, that could uh, perhaps, you know, help him out um, in his election campaign. Um, but it, obviously, there it's like everything else it seems to be. It's a bit of a balancing act. Turkey is obviously going to push this as far as it can to extract as much as it possibly can. But at some point, it always reiterates that it's part of its larger strategy is for NATO to um, expand and remain strong. So I think eventually we'll get there. Thank you so much for joining us on the Warcast. Thank you, Nick.